Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses and startups. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring amazing entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Frankie Snowball. She's a fantastic entrepreneur who exited a company called Tipplesworth. And it was acquired in 2019, and she talks a lot about the food and beverage industry, specifically focused on cocktails. And there is a lot of really great information about cocktails on tap, mixers, kits, and her story is just really inspirational around finding a niche that you're passionate about and just going after it. So without further ado, let's sit down and have an awesome conversation here on The Exit with Frankie Snowball. I wanted to give everybody a quick heads up that Flippa is hosting The Exit meetups across the US, UK, Europe, and Asia. And you can connect with like-minded business owners and entrepreneurs and of course, enjoy a drink on Flippa. I did this a couple of years back where I went to the meetup in Austin, it was a ton of fun. I learned so much from some entrepreneurs there that were buying businesses at scale. And I spoke briefly about the exit there and it was so much fun. So you can definitely learn more about all the meetups in the link in the show notes. And it's just flippa.com slash the exit meetups. That's flippa.com slash the exit meetups. You guys are not going to want to miss out on this. So definitely check it out. All right, everybody. Today, I am joined by Frankie Snowbell, and she is a current consultant in the drink industry. How's it going today, Frankie? Great. Thank you very much for having me. Super excited to get into your exit. But before we get into it a little bit, all the details and and all that fun, let's talk about your background. What got you into business and entrepreneurship uh, to start? So I guess we can kind of go all the way back. And it started with this passion that I had for cocktails, um, which it's quite fitting that I'm currently drinking a Negroni. It's 8.30 p.m. UK time. So I'm <laughs> totally allowed to be <laughs> sipping on this. Um, but I, I started out um, actually working as a cocktail bartender when I was in uni. Um, I went to school for science, um, biology, psychology, um, and work, make, making cocktails basically finance that, finance my travels. Um, and I, I just, I had this true passion for it, for making drinks, um, but I didn't like the hours. So I ended up moving into journalism, um, joining my family in the UK. Um, so I, I have dual citizenship. Um, and I realized that journalism was great, but it just, I, I wasn't hugely passionate about it. I wanted to, to do something that I could wake up every morning and fully believe in. Um, I wanted something that could basically be my identity. I, I wanted to work really hard and, and create something. Um, and I knew that it had to be in an industry that I was passionate about, which was very much cocktails. Um, I also saw this massive gap in the market for cocktails. Uh, but the, the motivation for, for starting the business was to, to get up every day, love what I'm doing, um, but also that kind of financial reward, which I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't really talk about in the beginning. 
um, as if it's kind of a dirty word. Like no one wants to talk about wanting to make money. Um, but for me, I, I, I did. I wanted to get onto the property ladder. I wanted to be able to financially take care of my mom. And I wasn't able to do that when I was working as a journalist. Um, so I really saw this business as something that I could um, grow quickly and try to sell. And, and right from the get-go, I knew that um, I wanted to exit the business. And it was in my five-year plan. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I got into it. Nice. Very nice. I like the you had that vision in mind and a plan. It's always good to come to the table with a plan and start <laughs> building from there. So It didn't all go uh, to plan, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, but it never does. Um, of course. And, and that's a great segue. Did you get a co-founder? How did you grow the team? And how long did you kind of go before the exit? So I, I'm a solo um, founder. for. So the business was, was called Tipplesworth. Um, and we, we started, or I started out actually... Actually, let me go back. I joined a business school because I had an idea. And the idea was basically because I noticed that there was um, growing popularity for home cocktails. I'd go to friends' dinner parties, and they all knew that I had this cocktail bartending background. And they wanted me to show them how to make drinks. And I just thought it was strange because they they could make this beautiful dinner and invest all this time and money preparing that, but they didn't have the confidence to make drinks. So I really saw that opportunity and decided that I was going to create this cocktail set. Um, so I ended up joining this business school um, and created this, um, what I call a, a cocktail case. And it's a vintage style suitcase that had everything you needed to make the drink and developed that with them. And then from there, I ended up getting it into retail and it was on the journey to eventually scale. So I ended up needing to raise investment, which I did through crowdfunding. I, I did tap into advisors along the way, um, but for the most part, it was me kind of at the helm of the business mm -hmm. running everything. Um, and mm -hmm. I did have employees, but again, it was a very small team and and the responsibility truly was on my shoulders. Yep, yep. And how did the initial conversations start with the acquiring company? I think that this is always... I've heard everything from bumping into each other at a coffee shop to you know going out to eat with you know the potential acquirer. Like, well, how did that begin? Um, so it started early days. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's, it's, and I've said it as well. Oh, you know, I was lucky. Um, but I truly believe that I created that luck. And I, I, I met some people early on, um, when I started the business that had great connections, they were in the drinks industry, um, and they knew the right people. And I thought I, I need to keep them close. Um, and, and not just to kind of tap into, um, free information. It was to actually just get their advice, um, but to also like give back to them with whether it be drinks or, or even um, I hired some advisors at the time um, with what little money I had because I could see the value in the doors that they could open and the potential money that that could bring in as well for the business. So yeah, I, I really tapped into these advisors to open up those doors. But I think it's also worth kind of um, talking about the different products that I had because the original business plan, um, it, it was basically grow it five year time, five years time. I wanted to sell it to Diageo, um, which seemed like a long shot, but it was my goal. And, um, but the product that I had, it was this luxury gifting product. It was kind of very much um, Christmas, huge sales at Christmas, but kind of tumbleweeds the rest of the year. 
Um, and I wanted to kind of get out of the gifting market eventually to go into something that was mainstream. But at the time, um, cocktails were not like how they are now. So now everyone's launching bottled cocktails and canned cocktails. But at the time, it was very much just like cheap products that were in cans or bottles. And mine was, or my idea was to create something that was premium, but the market wasn't ready yet. So I knew ultimately that is what um, Diageo or a big drinks company would want to acquire something that is hugely scalable um, that they could um, take a hold of. So I had to kind of get to that stage before I actually approached the right people or tried to approach the right people. And But I knew that this advisor eventually could kind of get me there. And um, we stayed in, in close contact and I called upon her at times when I needed her. And um, I went from these, doing these cocktail cases and then pivoting into these bottled cocktail mixers. We did um, this delicious award-winning espresso martini mixer, passion fruit martini mixer. Um, and they were truly um, unique in that they, they tasted like authentic cocktails. They had a beautiful kind of crema head on top when you shook them. Um, and so I knew I had a real winner there. And that's when I tapped into my advisor who then opened up the doors to someone very senior within Diageo. And um, I kind of convinced him to, to give me this, this chance to pitch for investment. Um, and I did it through their incubator. Um, and I was able to actually um, get investment, which was great. I, a couple of times actually through them. Um, but then that product again. And so I, I did basically a couple of pivots and it's almost as if I had three separate businesses, even though it actually was under the one business Tipplesworth. Um, and I knew kind of when, when I had these mixers that there was something there, but it just wasn't right. And I, I knew that Diageo had, um, obviously it has this massive portfolio of spirits, amazing spirits, um, that are well-known around the world. But they also had um, dispense technology, which um, a lot of drinks companies don't have. They, they can make Guinness pour like Guinness, um, which is iconic. So what could they do to my espresso martini if I could tap into their um, dispense expertise? So I, I then used my connections within Diageo to, to try to um, basically invest a bit more to, to have me develop cocktails on tap for them because I could see that this was a massive opportunity. It wasn't being done properly. Um, and we could jump on it and being a small business, I can move quickly, especially when I knew that this could be hugely scalable and very attractive for an acquisition. Um, so I, I convinced major stakeholders to, to let, to give me the chance basically. And we did, and we combined, um, their delicious vodka with my delicious cocktail mixers um, and we created this incredible product using their um, dispense kit and my my liquid, and um, and that was basically what led to the acquisition of the business. Um, but it was kind of tapping into these key people and just having them just really believe in me because they may or if I didn't have that relationship with some of those senior stakeholders, they probably wouldn't have invested the time and money in having me develop this for them. Um, mm -hmm. but I knew the right people and made sure that, um, I didn't let them go, um, too early. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of, uh, you know, tapping into individual people, bringing on advisors is a great route, uh, as a, as an acquiring 
um, option kind of through them. And I like that, that it's, it's networking. And also you get so many doors that you didn't think uh, you could open, opened for you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people discount the value of advisors and even investors as just like not a way that you can leverage their network as well when ultimately they're incentivized to make you uh, succeed or help you succeed. So it's a, it's a good move into the next topic here, which is getting prepared. There's a lot of questions around how entrepreneurs prepare for exits. And I'm curious with yours, you did have advisors, like you'd gone around and got kind of this stable of different people. But for the business itself, you guys pivoted into the uh, sort of uh, craft bottle uh, cocktails. What types of things did you do to prepare your business for the actual acquisition to take place? Um, well, the with it was actually the draft cocktails or the cocktails on tap that was kind of the the winning product. That was what um, mm. kind of led to the the exit. And I I knew when I was developing that that this it was do or die. <laughs> this was going to be my exit product um, because the journey had been so long and. To be quite honest, I was exhausted mm-hmm. um, and I was just pushing this at full steam and to prepare for this because I, because I kind of, I knew from the get-go, even, I mean, even if you look with the bottle mixers and the products I had done beforehand, I always knew that my angle was an exit. So to prepare for that, I made sure that I did everything by the books. I, um, especially with things like IP, I knew that that was going to be incredibly important to protect um, so I made sure that when I was dealing with suppliers or third-party manufacturers or even the the labs that were help kind of refining the liquids for me, um, that I had the right contracts in place to protect that and give the buyer confidence that when they are buying um, my liquids, that they truly will have full ownership of them. I think also when I when I was producing the draft cocktails, I knew that. I needed to prepare for a very kind of quick and dramatic um, scalability. So I knew that after an acquisition, um, it it would have to grow quite quickly. So I made sure that my third-party manufacturer, for example, um, I I ended up switching um, to one that I knew could actually scale because they were actually creating um, products for a big um, kind of beverage company, a non-alcoholic beverage company. So I knew that they could handle that. Um, I made sure that they had the right licensing and accreditation in place. Um, so it's basically just kind of getting everything in order so that when negotiations start, I'm, I could be in a strong position and my business would look like um, a credible business that could be handed over quickly and could be scaled up quickly as well. Nice. Yeah, I think preparedness is often not not as emphasized as it should be with a lot of busy busy entrepreneurs and uh, getting ahead of it is is pretty key now and let's it, go through timing oh, or go go ahead you go I was just gonna say it's, it, it was difficult I mean even um, after I had um, kind of a- agreed the offer and we were kind of going along through the the very painful due diligence um, there, there is obviously so much information that you have to gather and I was still running the business in the day. Um, and then at night, I'd be doing just mountains of paperwork of due diligence. Um, but thankfully, because I had kind of filed everything in the right place and had done a lot of what I had needed to do in the past, um, I was able to kind of dig it all up. But it was a very um, tiresome 
and long <laughs> process. Yeah. Yeah. So how about timing for all the young entrepreneurs out there that are just getting started or they've been running a business for a couple of years, let's say. Everyone's different. Every business is different. Of course, I always like to preface with that. Uh, but for you, with your, your business, why was it the right timing? And what would you share with another entrepreneur across from you about the right time to sell? I don't know if there there ever is a, a right time. However, for me, it just, it, it worked out well. Um, basically, I I had in my plan that it was going to be a, a five years of, and a friend of mine actually calls it a, a smash and grab. So I would basically focus all my energy and time and put my everything into the business, um, scale it and sell it. Um, and that's, that's what I did. I put everything into it. And there's only kind of so long that you can run full steam. And I knew that I... I was, I didn't have, um, the strength to kind of continue on for many more years. So, um, emotionally and physically I was ready to, to sell the business. And I knew again, from the get go that I wanted to exit quickly. So, um, it wasn't like it was something foreign to me. I, I knew that it's what I wanted. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's helpful to kind of understand, um, your, your end goal, like, not everyone wants to exit right away and people want different types of exits. Um, so my exit actually wasn't kind of a traditional exit for the, the drinks industry. Um, my brand actually isn't what was kind of part of the, it, it was acquired, but it isn't what they truly wanted. What, um, what the buyer wanted was the liquid technology that I created. Um, so it's actually not under my brand anymore. So my brand doesn't exist. Um, but I, I knew that I would be okay with that because ultimately my end goal was to sell the business. So I think there's, there's different types of exits. There's different timings. And it's, I think, just getting comfortable with what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. But I think um, it, it's also just being really focused with, um, with, with me, for example. I knew that I wanted to exit quickly. So every decision that I made, it was connected to that exit. Every big pivot that I made, um, you know, put my business at risk for that exit. Um, mm -hmm. but because I was so focused, I think that's why I managed to, to get there because everything that I did was to get to that stage. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think focus is important. Timing also, I sold when, thank goodness, it was right before COVID. Um, and that had a huge impact on the industry. So I was quite lucky in that respect. Um, but I just, I felt like the timing was right for me, for my team, for um, the buyer as well. And I knew that they could do great things with what I had started to create. So it just, it, it just felt right. Trust your gut, I think, mm -hmm. as well, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And not going into, you know, any details or anything like that, but how long did you stay at the company? Were you supposed to stay there for a certain amount of time? Did you, did you go on to do something right after the exit or how did that play out? Um, so I ha actually um, worked as a consultant for them for um, a couple of years. So that was a, a part of the, the deal, um, uh -huh. which was good for me because it was, I was able to make sure everything was fully integrated properly. And, mm -hmm. um, I could 
be involved in some respect to something that was so near and dear to me. Um, yeah. But it's um, coming to an end now and um, I'm kind of looking forward and, and doing other things. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, it wasn't just a um, sell it and cuddle ties. It, I still had some involvement um, after the fact. Got it. And before we get into the finale, I wanted to take a step back to the pivot. Uh, a lot of people have mixed opinions on pivots. I'm a fan of them very much so. Um, but I'd love to understand a little bit more about that. When you were starting with kind of this, it was like a like a trunk-based kind of business where everything was in this, this suitcase and they could make the, the cocktails at parties. Then it pivoted towards the bottles and then eventually pivoted towards the on tap, right? So it was like a, multiple pivots. Can you talk a little bit about that, of what that, what that was like and why, you know, pivots were, were good, a good move? I think that you can't take pivoting lightly, um, because it's a massive investment from, um, like time and focus, but also financial as well. So I think that every pivot that you make, if you're going to make it has to, um, move you in the direction that you ultimately want to get to. So again, mm. for me, it was, I wanted to sell my business to Diageo. Um, and so every, every pivot I made got me closer to that exit. Um, so I think don't take them lightly. Um, but I do think that they are needed. You can't just kind of be stubborn and stuck in your ways. If something's not working, you have to to improvise. And I think a lot of people did that, um, with COVID and had to kind of explore other avenues to make money just to stay afloat. Um, so I, I do think that pivoting is hugely entrepreneurial, um, especially if it's going to save your business, but mm -hmm. I think you need to be very careful and ensure that when you do it, you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, and it's in line with, with your end goal. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. Well, that takes us to the finale. On the show, I ask everybody the same question, which is knowing what you know now, what would you tell Frankie 10 years ago? So I, there's a couple of things. Um, the first thing definitely is just to enjoy the ride a bit more. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a crazy roller coaster ride, um, but it's also hugely exciting. And I think that I was always just so worried about kind of my next steps and um, so focused on just on, on the business and serious about the business that sometimes I actually didn't really notice some of the incredible things that were happening around me and the experiences as well. Um, I would just, I would kind of go through the motions, but I, I feel like I just didn't enjoy them as much as I probably should have. Um, so I think I would tell little Frankie, <laughs> Uh, to take time and just enjoy the ride a bit more. Well the other said. thing as well is um, don't be afraid to say no. Um, and mm -hmm. that I think was something I learned near the end of the business. Um, but in the beginning, I would just kind of grab a hold of every opportunity. Um, and sometimes those opportunities kind of distracted me from that end goal and kind of led me astray. Um, and I think in the early stages, 
you don't, you want to make as much money as possible. You want to grow quickly. And sometimes you just take on too much. Um, whereas at the end, um, I turned down like major retailers, major grocery chain. Um, I, I, I turned down a lot of opportunities because I knew that those cocktails on tap, um, were kind of going to be the ticket to the acquisition. So I had to focus solely on those. So yeah, my advice to little Frankie part two is, um, don't be afraid to say no. Well said, well said. Well, those are all the questions that I have for you. Uh, I know right now you're kind of consulting, but what can you share with the audience as to what you're doing now and where can they learn more? So I, I'm, have started doing, um, I've been doing some drinks consulting for the buyer, but, um, I'm also about to start doing some drinks consulting for some other companies as well. And even though I promised myself that I wouldn't start another business, (laughs) I think I'm going to start another business. Um, this time I think in the snacks industry, um, but I don't know, watch this space, but I, I think, um, I think I might have to, it's just, it's just, so exciting and just such um, a thrill to be running your own ship. So I mm-hmm. might have to to do it again. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Once you once you get the uh, the the sort of itch for yeah. building and you enjoy the ride and you realize that after the exit itself, you're like, wait a second, I liked the building part. I want to I want to do that again. Yeah. Uh, you you can't really shake it. Um, it's just one of those and, things. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not employable. I could never work for somebody else now. And, um, and I thought I would like the downtime, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I miss the, thr- the thrill of it all. Uh, so yeah, watch this space. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. All right. Well, that's all I have for you, Frankie. Wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, all the links that Frankie mentioned will be in these show notes. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your uh, your story. Great. Thank you very much for having me.